Uh, yes, 103, and once again, a plan has come together, and we are set to go with the Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. Schools here, along with James Fireman, Tamara Gopian, and them, courtesy of San Firu to Market LLP. You can reach out anytime, don't you know, when we're not doing the show, and we encourage you to, because quite often it's a matter we'd like a lengthier private conversation, so you can do it. 1-855-821-5900 is the number. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And uh, right here and now, phone lines. Look at that red to go if you have questions anything concerning your uh your trials and tribulations with a disability law uh, insurance company rather you can uh, you can call in 416-872-1010 again 416-872-1010 lots of lines open or you can text your questions if you prefer that is simply 71010 as we get rolling here got a bunch of emails and questions to get through some of them are going to be from mydisabilityquestions.com that is a free and anonymous site for you to use as well anytime Get your questions answered after you type them into your uh, tablet, your, your, uh, your cell phone, or your desktop, for that matter, mydisabilityquestions.com. But first, guys, we get it all warmed up with uh, a story, a comment, a week that was. James, what do you got going on first, pal? Well, I, I want to talk about a common issue that comes up with people who contact our firm for legal advice or potentially for retaining us because they're in a dispute with their disability insurer. One of the things we see all the time is that people are hesitant to get involved in a lawsuit against an insurance company. And that's because there's a perception that starting that process is going to be a very long endeavor. It's going to be difficult. You're you know, going to have to spend a lot of your time and energy. And that's particularly daunting if your disability is from a mental health perspective. And so because of this perception about what the process is like, there are a lot of people that don't want to call or when they do are very hesitant to go forward with the process. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity to start the show by talking about the process, about what is involved, because it is very different than what people believe it to be. And that's not true of all lawsuits by any means. Uh, I started my career doing other areas of law, a lot of personal injury and corporate litigation, and that is much closer to what people's perception is. Uh, It can be very long and drawn out and very involved. Long-term disability cases are very, very different. First of all, the biggest difference is the amount of time from start to finish. It is the is my experience, and this holds true with the other other lawyers in our firm, and Tamar can confirm this as well. From the date that someone signs a retainer to hire us to bring a claim against their insurance company for their disability benefits, it's usually about 10 to 12 months. It can be a little longer than that. That does happen on occasion, but that's more the exception. And it certainly is more frequently than that earlier than 10 to 12 months. But that should be the expectation. Around 10 to 12 months from the date you sign the retainer, the expectation is we would have your case resolved. We would be finished with with the litigation against your insurance company. So that is... Difference number one. Difference number two, and this is something that is really, really significant. When we are retained, the first thing that happens is we contact the insurance company. Mm -hmm. We tell them we've been retained. And from that moment onwards, the insurance company can no longer contact you. They have to run all communications through my office or whichever lawyer is assigned the file. And so that means you are no longer dealing directly with the claims handling. You're not getting phone calls from them anymore. 
You're not getting emails. You don't have to think about what you're going to say to them. We handle all of that. So that is an enormous burden for a lot of people that is no longer going to be part of their day-to-day lives. The other thing that is really significant is we very intentionally design our process so that our clients aren't burdened with having to run around and do the grunt work. We take care of all of that. And so what happens when uh, when someone retains us to represent them is they will sign some authorizations and those authorizations will allow us to get any documents that we're going to need to support their claim and allow us to get all of those without the client having to run around or contact their doctors or you know get their tax returns. We can do all of that. They're not going to be out of pocket, so it's not going to cost them any money that they need since they don't have any money coming in from, from their job or from benefits. So that's another really big advantage there as well. And for most of our clients, there is very little to do between the time you sign the retainer and the time the case is resolved. And that, again, is very much by design. So, you know, I won't promise you that there will never be any involvement or you won't ever have to do anything. But for probably, I'd say, 70 to 80% of our clients, the first thing they have to do after they sign the retainer is go to mediation. It is usually a very, very simple process. And most clients tell me that once they sign the retainer, it is as though a huge burden was lifted from their shoulders because they no longer had to worry about dealing directly with the insurance company. And of course, that's exactly why people call and hire us. They don't want to have to deal with their insurance company anymore. And that's exactly what we do. So I thought it would be a good idea just to throw that out there at the beginning, because there are a lot of misconceptions about what the process is like. And certainly, if you have questions around that, we can talk about it either on the air today or off air. If you want to call and book a consultation, our consultations are completely free. And so you can ask questions and make sure before you do anything that the process is one that would fit with you and with your lifestyle and what your expectations are. Again, that number, 416-872-1010 to call in now, as James just mentioned. Uh, Tamar, what's going on your side, pal? Well, look, you know, I wanted to add one helpful element to what James said, and I wholeheartedly agree that it's a very seamless process. And and it's seamless because it does remove those stressors that James really focused on. And so in a couple of files that have happened in the last few months. So we send our initial letter is to send out, you know, our, our initial shot to the insurer saying, hey, we've been retained on behalf of this client. So please don't contact the client. Everything goes through us, right? I've had a couple of occasions where the insurance company will come to us and say, well, are you sure your client doesn't want to appeal? Because it sounded like they wanted to appeal the case. So are you going to do that? Or, you know, what's happening? Because our notice letter will say, no, no, we're going to start a legal claim. <laughs> and so I chuckle a bit, but but with intention, because this is what the insurance companies would prefer. This is why we discourage people from the appeal process, because it, because it continues to be held by that adjuster who has already said no, maybe once or twice or three times over before these poor people come to us and say, can you help us, please? And so I found it rather cheeky that after our notice letter goes out saying, hey, you know, we're going to sue you, by the way. We want your whole claims file. We want every stitch of documents that you guys are relying on to support your decision to deny this poor person, their disability benefits, then they have the cheek to come back and say, oh, but but you sure your client doesn't want to appeal? So 
just as an add-on to this process is that we're absolutely not going to engage the insurance company on their process. We're going to take it out of that process, in fact, and put it into the hands of strict rules around litigation and require the insurance company to have a sit down with us within a very reasonable and short period of time to resolve the claim. And I cannot echo this enough in terms of what James has said, is that that point A to point B, from the moment people retain us to the point that they resolve their claims, it is generally very stress-free for our clients because those are the services that we provide and we try and engage them as little as we need to so that they can focus on their health and we are doing the legwork required to get an excellent result for them. Let's uh, let's slide into our first email, guys, as we uh, continue on here. Leslie says, love the show. I have been on LTD for five years due to two surgeries that caused damage. I'm wanting to sell my home and move closer to my mom to help her. I will clear about 500 grand and I would be putting that into another home. Uh, what else does Leslie say here? I got to scroll. Uh, would that cause a problem with my LTD carrier that would disqualify me or penalize my claim? Thank you, says Leslie. What do you think, guys? No, uh, that's not an issue at all. The only the only time that selling property could ever be an issue is if it were your business, if you were into flipping homes uh-huh. and that was a way that you were generating income, then your insurer would certainly uh, take an interest in that and would likely count that against uh, any benefits you might otherwise be entitled to and would probably suggest that it's uh, reveals an ability to do work if you were doing that regularly and managing the details around that. But if you are selling your home under the circumstances that Leslie's talking about here, where she's selling it to move closer to her mom, um, and you know this is just simply a matter of uh, the getting the equity in the house and putting it into another home, the insurance company's got no interest and no right to have any interest in that whatsoever. There's no income involved there at all. The only issue is whether you're doing something that involves income. If you're just talking about your assets and moving them around, and this is true even with investments, then it isn't something that the insurance company is able to use against you in any particular way. So, Leslie, you shouldn't feel the least bit concerned about it. Um, You can, if you need to, sell your house, move closer to your mom um, so that you can help her out by all means, and I wouldn't worry about it at all. So it doesn't matter if it's her principal residence and even if there's a surplus at the end of it, she walks away with a hundred grand cash from the new house. It doesn't matter. Leftover still doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter if it's her cottage. Mm. doesn't matter. As Again, unless it is something that she's doing to generate income, unless this is a business venture that she has, uh, but that is not at all the circumstances that she's talking about here. And that would very rarely be the case for most people. So it isn't something that you need to consider yourself at all. Leslie, appreciate the uh, the email. I'm going to give you the phone numbers. We're going to do a break in case you have any other questions. That's one 821 5900 And that email, by the way, that Leslie uses, you can use as well, help at disabilityrights.ca. I did mention mydisabilityquestions.com. That uh, website's free and anonymous for you to use. The database of asked questions is searchable. So that's kind of cool. You can use that feature as well. We'll get to that after a short break. And you got lots of time now to pick up a phone, talk to us, or text us, 416 872 1010 by phone or text at 71010 as well. Lots more of the Disability Law Show is coming up. Hang on. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. It is uh, 120. Lots of time to go. So you got time to pick up a phone. We got uh, phone lines open, a bunch of them. That uh, that number, 416-872-1010 to call in with your disability law insurance matters. If you're having some uh, some heartache, some 
some hassles with your disability insurance. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for a friend or family member who's too bashful to call. You can do them a service and, uh, and call us now. James, tomorrow, always ready with uh, with an open ear and some some advice. 416-872-1010. Or if you prefer the text route, that is open to you. 71010 to send us along a text. And mydisabilityquestions.com. That website is available for you anytime. It's anonymous. You can go there and uh, leave your questions at the website. It'll get answered by James or tomorrow, one of their team for sure. First one for the day, guys, says my husband has leukemia. He's been off work since spending 66 days in hospital, December 19th, 2019 to February 24th of 2020. He's on long-term disability through work and on CPP disability. The doctor just said he can go back to work, but only one hour a day. His work called and wants him to sign off is terminated due to, quote-unquote, frustration of contract. They say he will keep his LTD, but how can we trust the insurance company will keep paying once he is no longer employed? He's just turning 57 years old and has worked for the company for 29 years. Any advice, guys? Thank you. This is a great question. I'm going to jump in here because, uh, you know, I know James knows the answer, but still, <laughs> I do some more employment work than he does. We we dabble, but I, I think I dabble more than he does. In any event, frustration of contract. So let's start there. This is a concept. It's a legal principle, and it's, a, it's an employment law concept, and it is one that exists if someone is not capable of doing their job at their employer, if their health is preventing them from doing it. Sounds similar to LTD for sure, especially if you talk about the own occupation period of the policy. But this is as it relates to employment, because if you are with an employer that's governed by Ontario Employment Standards Act um, legislation, then that legislation protects you for certain minimum entitlements for compensation, termination pay, potentially even severance pay. If your employment is frustrated, there's a frustration of contract as a result of disability. But it doesn't exist in a vacuum. So there needs to be medical basis to support either one side or the other. So either the employee or the employer to trigger this legal principle. So it doesn't just, you know, after two years, all of a sudden it's frustration. No, that's not what the courts have said. That is not what the law says. So what concerns me about this question is what we are told about what the doctor is saying. The doctor is saying that he can go back to work. And it sounds like the employer perhaps is trying to resist this employee's return as a result of perhaps improperly triggering frustration of contract. So if the employer has done so incorrectly or improperly, then that is absolutely a basis for an employment claim. So for those who are listening who are like, wait a minute, this is the disability law show. Yep, yep, it is, folks. But there's lots of employment resources. We are also employment lawyers at our firm, and we can absolutely assist on that side of the fence. But more to the point is what happens with LTD, whether the employer has triggered this properly or improperly, should not necessarily impact this individual's coverage for LTD benefits. The LTD insurer, even if it's a group plan, so even if you have coverage for LTD because you are employed with a certain employer, if you are being approved for LTD, that insurance company is going to make decisions or theoretically should be making decisions independent of whether or not your job attached or not. So they are going to look at this medical note from the doctor and assess for themselves whether or not this individual is capable of working. And if they are not capable and they do not meet the threshold, which I suspect they don't because it's only one hour a day that the doctor is signing off for work, then I expect that the LTD benefit should absolutely continue to be paid. There are 
analyses that go with this because of the time frame. So I think if I have my math right, this individual is probably in the any occupation phase of the disability policy. So the policy says, can you do anything else at that phase, right? So can you do any job for which you've got the minimum education, training and experience? And what are your doctors saying about your health in terms of being able to do these alternative jobs? But there's another important concept to that, which is can you do an alternative job that's going to pay you a certain amount of money? It's not just any compensation. The one hour a day, I can tell you, is not going to meet this alternative job level compensation, which we call commensurate wage or commensurate earnings, because usually that's two thirds of what this individual was making before they became unwell and went on LTD. So typically it lines up with what you're getting for your LTD benefit. And I suspect unless this individual is making hundreds of dollars an hour, and even then, he or she is not going to be making that commensurate wage level. So I think that if the insurer makes the decision to cut off, there's also absolutely a basis for a legal claim there. What do you think, James? Well, I think there's another element here that I'm not sure that this person was asking about, but I want to cover it off just in case. And so the question asks whether he can trust that the insurer will keep paying once he's no longer employed. And I agree with your analysis about whether or not he meets the test. But what I'm concerned about is the perception that you need to keep your job. In other words, if you were to get terminated, if your employer were to let you go, that that would somehow impact your right to continue to receive benefits. And I can assure you it doesn't. So to be very clear about this, if you apply, if when you apply for disability benefits, you are covered under a policy, it does not matter if at any point afterwards you get fired from your job or you're, you know, they lay you off or what have you. You're claim as it relates to the disability insurance is still a valid claim regardless of your work status if they let you go or not it is crystallized the moment that you put that application to the insurance company and so if your insurance changes if your employer gets a new insurer if you let go whatever the case is once you apply from that point forward your insurance remains a valid policy as long as you continue to meet the test of disability. All right, guys, let's move on. Again, phone calls in between. Feel free to lay them on us. It's 416-872-1010. And that email address as well uh, is help at disabilityrights.ca. Next one is from Terry says, guys, I'm on disability and would like to try a return to work. I'm not sure if I can work in construction because of my knee injury. Can my physician write that I'm well enough to, quote unquote, try working, but unsure if my knee will allow me to return to pre-injury work? What do you guys think? Absolutely. Um, In fact, that's really the the type of language that we like to see from physicians when their patients are, pardon me, when their patients are contemplating return to work. It's exactly what you want. So one, I really like that Terry is eager to try to return, that he is focused on what can I do to get myself back to work? Those are exactly the types of clients that we like representing. We know that, first of all, when they tell us something, that they're being honest about it. If they're 
actively trying to get themselves back to work. And second of all, the attempt to return to work can only help you. If you try and return to work and you're successful, you are in much better position than if you're trying to recover ongoing benefits. If you can earn your income, that's just better for you. And if you're not successful, if you've tried to return to work and you're not able to do it because of your disability, you've now created really strong evidence about your inability to return to work because you've actually tried it. And they can see exactly what's happened, exactly what happened to your symptoms after so many hours or trying to do this type of duty or that type of duty. There is very strong evidence that that happens. So it's good that Terry is trying to go back to work. And when you do, you want to make sure that you do so with approval from your doctor. So you always, uh, you know, it's never the situation where I ask someone to, to speak to me first and get my permission before they go back to work. My clients don't need my permission to return to work. They need to get approval from their doctor. Once your doctor signs off on it, then it's fine. But ideally, they will use exactly the type of language that Terry is referring to here. They will say something to the effect of Terry can try to return to work and perhaps you know only X number of hours a day, only X days per week, limited from doing this duty or that duty, whatever the case is, whatever is appropriate. But the try is important so that if it doesn't work out, the insurer can't say that your doctor said you could go back to work. It was that you would try to. And you did try. And if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. With that, guys, quick break. Right back into more. Give you a chance to grab a phone. If that, uh, What do you feel like doing? Give us a call here. Get on air. Be that fourth voice. Ask your questions. 416-872-1010. And that email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. And even a text. We can get to some of those if you uh, you want to use that way to reach out. 71010 would be the way to go about that. More of the Disability Law Show is coming up. Stand by. We are back. It is one thirty-five. So good to have you hanging in with us. Now, the next step is to reach out and talk to us if you uh, feel like doing so. The opportunity is always there this hour, 416-872-1010 through the phone, 71010. Through the text, if you have something in the uh, realm of disability law to... uh, to reach out for if you could do that either way email is help at disabilityrights.ca and that website that was constructed for you to ask your questions anonymously called my disability questions.com use it anytime you like here we go guys one right from that website as a matter of fact says my policy has a three-year own occupation and i received a letter in the mail from my insurer one year prior to the change of definition that they have looked at my case and my benefits will continue past the change of definition can i assume my case it's a mental health issue has been deemed serious by the insurer and their internal doctor has signed off on it my psychiatrist psychologist and gp were not asked to provide any medical updates prior to the letter from that insurer i've been accepted for cpp and the disability tax credit as well can i assume based on the approval past the definition one year in advance that i may only have to submit the annual yearly update going forward after my cpp approval my updates changed to a brief every six month update thank you Kind of number, even what do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one because the it sounds to me like this individual may have been put on what's called long duration or maintenance or any number of terms that these different insurers have for putting someone on a claim that's gonna go past the change of definition. And one where the adjudication, so the the management of the claim, is not going to be as active as it typically is because they're not looking to actually boot someone off claim. It's rare, but it can happen. 
happen. Um, and perhaps this profile is one where that may exist. But I never get the warm and fuzzies from insurance companies, guys. And, and I think our listeners probably know this when they listen to us, is that just because you are approved for CPP disability, which really does have a quite a stringent test, just because you're approved for it doesn't mean it's going to keep the insurance company necessarily at bay. The CPP test is certainly one that's persuasive because in order to qualify, you have to have a severe and prolonged disability. And it's a disability plan that's reviewed and approved by the government. So it can be extremely helpful leverage against the insurance company to say, well, if I qualify for this, surely I must qualify for any occupation LTD benefits. But it doesn't always fly. And we have represented lots of clients who are CPP approved, where the insurance company has still found a way to deny their claim, um, even after they've been approved past the change of definition. I actually just um, resolved one with an insurer for a client that was similar profile. It was also primarily a mental health claim. Uh, and I can't talk a, a lot about it because it's now confidential, but just at a high level to know that you can make it past that two or three year mark as this um, you know, email or, or disability question tells us doesn't guarantee the fact that your LTD benefits are going to continue especially if you're relatively young. I mean, these policies pay you until you're 65 years old. So even if you make it past the two or three year mark uh, in your 40s or 50s, that's a lot of monthly benefits for the insurance company to pay. And if they've got an opportunity to try and close it out and review it down the road, they will do that. But if you are placed on a long duration, the hope and likelihood is that you will only be asked for a yearly or bi-yearly update. Usually it's fairly passive. You just have to fill out a form um, and away you go and your benefits theoretically should continue. What do you think, James? Well, I, I think there is this perception that there is some magic formula where if you check the required boxes that you're going to have an easy ride and it's just very rarely the case um you know if you have a severe brain injury then you can reasonably expect that you're not going to be hassled often by the insurer but short of that you're always subject to you know any changes in your circumstances that trigger more interest from the insurance company looking at what you can do or perhaps uh, a new adjuster coming on the file that takes a different look at it and wants to be aggressive about it. So you never really know. I mean, I have clients who have said, oh, well, my insurance company has told me that they're going to reconsider my benefit each month. And, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that. And the reality is that's everybody. Right? The insurer can always look at whether you meet the definition month over month. And so you're always subject to that. You know, it's like when athletes are listed as day to day. Well, aren't we all? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's that's just the way that it goes. You know, there is very little, if anything, that guarantees what's going to happen in the future. So, you know, it sounds as though they are taking it more seriously in this in, in this particular case. And perhaps they are. And perhaps for the moment. They have put this claim into um, some category that would suggest less frequent updates are required, but that could change tomorrow. Um, the fact that they have said that they will pay up to the change of definition helps 
for sure, because if they were to go back on that, there could be the basis uh, to bring a claim on the promise that they had made to do that, depending on exactly how they had worded it. But even that, I wouldn't be so certain about. So you always really have to be aware of what's happening with your relationship with your insurer and be mindful of it and make sure that you're providing what you need to in order to make sure that they don't have an easy way to justify terminating your benefits. Let's get to a, a quick text, guys. Came in at 71010. You can send one along as well anytime. It says, hey, guys, can you let me know if a company is allowed to terminate benefits, I guess disability benefits, at age 65, even if you continue working full time? Well, if we're talking about long-term disability benefits, mm-hmm. that's just the language of most long-term disability policies. Most LTD policies have it written in, particularly if it's a group policy through your employer, will have it written in that as soon as you reach age 65, benefits are no longer payable. There are very limited exceptions to that. Occasionally, if you become disabled uh, within a year prior to reaching 65, it can be extended briefly beyond that. But leaving that particular exception aside, generally speaking, at age 65, your LTD benefit uh, is no longer available to you unless you have uh, an unusual group policy or a private policy that allows for benefits to continue beyond that. If this is a question about extended health benefits or beyond that goes uh, well outside the scope of my expertise. Uh, I don't know if Tamar has anything she can comment on in that regard. Though. You know, not, not specifically, actually, James, because a lot of employers have different policies, internal policies around what they do with individuals who are in that age category and what their group, group plans say about continuing extended health coverage. Uh, generally, though, I wholeheartedly agree with James, you may have the option to extend some group policy even, even say, like you can go from 65 to age 70, for example, but you want to make sure that you inquire further with your employer about that. That's not actually the insurer's um, issue at that stage. It's actually the employer that needs to define what your coverages are, what you have available, and you have if you have the option to continue that extended health uh, coverage. We appreciate that anonymous text, by the way. You can keep sending them at 71010 or pick up a phone and talk to us live. That's an option as well as we roll on here. 416-872-1010. Email from our pal Arlene says, guys, I've had chronic headaches for over two years. I took sick leave last year for four months. I've been getting better, but I've missed a lot of work since then, and my condition is now getting worse. There are many days when it's debilitating, she says, and uh, I cannot function. Do I have a chance at LTD? I've applied for critical illness benefits through our group insurance and was denied. I have documentation and notes from my doctors as well. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll start by uh, commenting, yeah, you certainly have a chance at LTD. Um, There there is a lot going on here that suggests that um, there may well be a valid basis for the claim. And I I do really want to dig into this a little bit more, but we are sort of up against the break right now with less than a minute to go. And I want to be able to have a more complete discussion in tomorrow. So Arlene, we'll pick this one up after we get done with the break. Stand by, Arlene. We will do exactly that. And in the meantime, you can also send yours along. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Mydisabilityquestions.com is another way to type them in. Or call us now, right? 416-872-1010. And the text number is 71010 as well. We continue with lots more of the disability law. Show. Stand by for that. It's coming right now. 
Yeah, welcome back to it. It is one fifty, so you got some time to call in. Still four one six eight seven two ten ten seven ten ten to text us your questions as well. By the way, when the show is done, anytime during the week, etc., you can reach out to both James and Tamar. Uh, same email address, but one eight five five eight. 215900 again 18558215900 uh James we were dealing with uh, Arlene's email about the chronic headaches and possibly getting some LTD and maybe critical illness benefits what are you uh, what are you going to go down on this one so I, I think the biggest point here is that Arlene certainly has the possibility for a successful challenge against uh, the LTD denial. I can't say with any certainty because I don't have the medical documents, of course, and would have to look at those more closely to make sure that there's a case to be made out there. But the fact that you know Arlene mentioned in her in her email that she'd been denied for critical illness benefits and was, I suppose, concerned that that might suggest she is not entitled to LTD. That's not the case. Critical illness is a very different type of insurance. So critical illness policy is a policy where you're paying your premiums and if you wind up being diagnosed with one of a number of pre-specified conditions in the policy, then you would be automatically entitled to a lump sum amount. And so you can choose what that is. Let's say it's for $200,000. And so there'll be a list of maybe 10, 12, 15 different uh, conditions that if you are diagnosed with one would qualify you for that benefit. Arlene's suffering from chronic headaches, which I would be very surprised if that were one of the enumerated critical illnesses in a policy. But if there were an underlying condition causing the chronic headaches, if there was a brain tumor, for example, that wouldn't surprise me at all, but it doesn't appear that that's the case. So that Arlene was uh, denied the critical illness policy is not surprising, but also doesn't suggest to me that LTD would not be available. That Arlene is getting better, well, okay, perhaps that means that uh, she might now or soon be at a point where she's able to go back to work. I don't know. have to take a look at these specific details of it. But certainly this is something where there is very much a possibility that we would be able to successfully challenge a denial of LTD benefits, simply a matter of getting in touch, going through the information and determining what's right in the situation. Tamar, you got something? Yeah. I, I wanted to sort of sidebar a little bit on the critical illness aspect of it, because we don't see a lot of critical illness claims. We're seeing a little bit more of it, I would say. And it is important what James highlighted, which was they are typically two different insurers, definitely two different policies. So the criteria to qualify one for the other is important to meet independently. So just because one insurer has said no and the other one said yes or vice versa, it doesn't mean it's going to influence the decision from one insurer to another. Much like if we were talking about in our prior segment, just because you get CPP disability doesn't mean your LTD insurer isn't going to be looking around to find a way to cut off your claim if that's what they're determined to do. Uh, so the CI policy in particular will have very specific terms and conditions on what is payable, what health issues are covered by the CI policy. 
But it's interesting. I had a consultation on a CI claim yesterday. I was just uh, talking to you guys off off the air about it. And it reminded me to remind our listeners that, you know, before you place these types of policies, you really should do uh, a lot of vetting with your broker and have a clear understanding around the requirements of placing one of these policies. Because the premiums can be quite significant, but also it protects you from certain fairly serious conditions and illnesses. And much like the stuff we talk about on our shows day in and day out, on disability, the similar concepts would apply to challenging a CI insurer for denying your critical illness claim. Um, But there are other elements, and one that's most important is what type of health information do you have to provide to the insurer for that policy to be placed? And so sometimes we see insurers who say, look, you've made a claim, but when you applied for this policy, you weren't entirely forthright or you missed telling us something or another. And if we had known that information, we wouldn't have placed this policy for you or our premiums would have been different. And so we're actually saying that the policy is void. We're actually reneging on the fact that we've given you this policy. Now, insurers have only a small window of time. I think it's a couple of years in which to be able to take that kind of a step. But when you're placing that policy right out of the gates, you want to have some clarity with your broker around that information, what's being placed, what are the premiums, what am I covering myself for, so that there aren't surprises down the road. Because it can be one of these types of policies where the courts have said, hey, look, if the insurer would not have insured you if they'd had this information, then it's it's a no-go. You're not going to get coverage under that particular plan. Again, very different than LTD, but important for those who might be considering, hey, I do have a CI policy, or I think this is something I might need, or maybe I've got a parent who made this kind of claim and they were denied. I wonder if this is something I should talk to a lawyer about. We'd be more than happy to vet those kinds of questions. Let's uh, roll on down, guys. Another question from mydisabilityquestions.com says, is the insurance caseworker allowed to ask specifically why you have PTSD or why you have anxiety? Are they allowed to know exactly what happened? Yes. Yes, they are. Um, So, I mean, look, exactly. Let me explain the process a little bit because it can be very intrusive to have to put a disability claim forward on these kinds of mental health issues. PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder in particular, Mm -hmm. is, as it says, a trauma-based mental health condition. And so it can be really, really tough to have to explain to someone new, perhaps even multiple people during the adjudication of your claim as to what's transpired and why is it that you are now at a point where you're disabled and not capable of working and provide that insight to your caseworker. But some of those details are important in the sense that they can work to validate and provide the context that the adjuster will need to continue to have your disability benefits approved. So when individuals come to us and say, look, this is really intrusive and I don't want my therapy records provided and this sort of thing, and I always encourage people, look, If the insurance company doesn't have the full picture, then all you're doing is potentially harming yourself in terms of being able to continue getting entitled to those disability benefits going forward. So the more information you can provide to the adjuster, within reason, of course, the better it can be. And the caveat to that is, if you find it difficult to speak about, then this is the place where your medical records perhaps could do the talking for you. So perhaps you provide your adjuster with some high-level details, but ultimately the details around what triggers the PTSD or why you're off on disability can be provided from your treatment providers, your psychiatrist, psychologist, or a family doctor. James, last minute is yours. Pal, some final comments? 
Well, I just following up on what Tamar was talking about, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, when they are asked for those types of details, understandably will balk about that. They'll not want to provide those details. They want to keep their personal information to themselves. But what you have to understand is conceptually, it is your choice to bring the claim. And in doing that, you have to be able to prove that you have a legitimate disability and the insurance company is entitled to understand the details of that and to challenge that if it's appropriate. And sometimes it is appropriate, sometimes it's not. But what it means is at the end of the day, you're going to have to give them the medical information that supports your disability. And with that, we're done. Nicely done, guys. You can always reach out now that we are done to either James or tomorrow. Always willing to talk to you. Got a team with them as well that answer your questions. 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And another place for you to ask questions anytime that we've used on the show, as you just heard, mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.